This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. What a privilege it is to be with you. Anyone who uh, loves math, uh, Matt is a friend of mine. So it's just good to be here. We have followed Matt. We have prayed for Matt. We're uh, praying with Matt even as he was praying through God's leadership in, in coming here. So it is indeed a, a, just a privilege to be here. If you wonder about this, this kind of weird name and how you say that, just don't worry about it. Just whatever, right? Um, that's what that is. Preben Vong. And uh, I have a name brother. He said he was from Norway here, Matt, playing the piano. And so he pronounces it a little bit more Georgian, I guess, than that we do in Scandinavia. But it is indeed very, very good to be here. I hope to get to know you uh, quite a bit. Some of you are following also uh, online, whether you're at home or in a cabin or in a car and, you know, wherever you are. Maybe you watch this next Thursday afternoon. Who knows? We're glad to be uh, here with you also. And it, indeed, if you have your Bibles, we'll turn to, to uh, the book of James. And if you're not quite familiar with where that is, if you get to uh, you know, toward the back and you get to Hebrews, just keep going. If you get all the way to Peter or John, just go back a little bit and you'll get to that. It's just a few pages really uh, written, uh, by, written by uh, our Lord's brother, uh, James. Uh, but we'll get into some of that. I hope to get to meet you more personally than, than this also tonight uh, and, and the following evenings as we are walking through uh, that book. Uh, th- this is a key passage. I want to read from chapter 2, and it's one of the most debated passages uh, that we have had, and I'm going to get into that a little bit as we are thinking through uh, who is James, what is his aim, why is he writing the way he's doing, why does it sometimes feel for some people that this is different from, from Paul. Uh, and, and, and another text in the... In the um, in the New Testament, and we're going to see that, that uh, James's aim is, is slightly different in that, and I hope we'll get to realize also what the, what the kind of title, what I titled this here, right, that, that uh, real faith uh, really works, right, or genuine faith genuinely uh, works, or works genuinely, or however you want to say that, right? And so if we have um, chapter 2 of, of the book of James, Um, And I'll read from verse 14 and the rest of that chapter. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lack daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, it is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. 
senseless person? Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture uh, was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So, what about this text? It seems difficult for so many, but we kind of get it, right? It's not like we're not getting it. It, uh, Even with a quick reading like this, we're getting that that James is talking about authentic faith. There ought to be some authenticity there. We can't just utter the words, and yet we struggle kind of with this language. Is that not true? Is that just some people are not, but we, there's something there that, that seems somewhat difficult. It is so hard that some of the most uh, celebrated characters in, in church history, uh, not the least Martin Luther, the great reformer himself, called this a straw letter. And so I'm going to address it with, with us all uh, this morning to see what's going on. It seems in some ways to run directly contra to some of the texts we read in, in the books like uh, the letter to Romans by Paul or to the Galatian uh, church uh, or the churches in, in Galatia. So what is it really that James is trying to say in this text? I hope we can kind of dig in and get a little bit closer and get a, a sense of this that, that will not only uh, kind of reveal what is, what's there, but also inspire us. That's uh, James's aim, I hope, when, when, uh, that we can see that. Genuine faith genuinely works, or real faith really works. And you know, I'm playing on that word a little bit, uh, with works, right? So when we say something, well, that really worked, right? We are thinking, that has an effect. It did something. It worked. Are you there? Yeah, okay, good. I just want to make sure. Uh, and so it really worked. And so it, it speaks to an effect that it had, that is visible, that is touchable, if you will. Something happened. It really Work that I'm kind of playing in the word with this here, right? And so it, to understand why Luther reacted the way he did, we need to kind of look a little bit at his background. Because Luther, just like James, will completely agree that genuine faith genuinely affects our lives. It has to. That, that's part of what, what faith is all about. And, and unfortunately, it is become somewhat common, maybe even subconsciously. May I say that to you? Even when we're not speaking it out, people say, well, I never knew that, that Luther said that. I didn't learn that in school, and I realized that, that education here might be different from, from Europe with some of that kind of stuff. That would be unthinkable there that you didn't know about 
about Luther. But, but having said that, subconsciously we kind of get to this point where we have concluded, if not in our minds and at least in, in the way we live it out, that faith doesn't have to actually alter our lives and our behavior. I can come to faith and there's no difference between yesterday when I didn't uh, believe in Jesus and now I was led to Christ and I made that decision and there's not a whole lot of of actual difference. And we have kind of gotten used to that and certainly people who grow up in, in that kind of setting have just subconsciously concluded that discipleship does not have to alter the everyday of my life since I've enjoyed certain routines and I like to continue to enjoy those routines. And, you know, a guy like, like uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for some of you would have uh, read about him. If nothing else, you might have, have read uh, Eric Metaxas's book on, on him. Um, he called it cheap grace, grace that did not require a sacrifice, grace that was just taken for granted, grace that did not cause to really follow Jesus. And so that has sometimes resulted in, in a way of uh, understanding the Christian faith that neither Paul, nor James, nor Jesus, or nor Luther for that matter, would ever, ever recognize. It is just something different from what we learn in Scripture. And so, without understanding that real faith really works, really has an effect. We kind of gotten used to another way of thinking about discipleship of following Jesus. So to get closer to this a little bit, uh, I hope you're following here and, and, and seeing here, we need to understand what Luther's background uh, was and, and, and hopefully from there realize what's going on, right? And, and all of us know, I, I hope that is true, and also those of you who are, who are following from uh, wherever you are at this moment, we realize that few people in history, not just church history, but world history, Outside of scriptures, they have had greater impact on the flow and the direction of world history than Martin Luther. That's why he's so important and why we need to look at this. And this was his text where he was rejecting some of these things. And so how do we understand what's going on? Well, active as he was, incredibly involved as he was in faith, here's the background. He was one of the most incredibly active Catholic monks in the 1500s, right there by Reformation. You know that story, of course. So focused, so dedicated, so eager, so deeply involved, he wanted to be one of God's favorites. So everything about him was focused that way. He, he would pray Hours on hours on his knees, he would, he would fast days on days. He will confess every little thing that was to confess. He will seek forgiveness even for the slightest little thought that was there that he thought maybe that's not pleasing to God. On and on you can read, he gave all of what he had for this. And yet, and yet, trying that hard to please God, he found that there was no 
real peace to be found in that. Regardless of how much he worked on trying to attain salvation through pleasing God, he found there's nothing there. I'm as frustrated and without peace as anything. And when he had tried everything possible, everything that could even be imagined, the only place he could find some release from his despair was through the study of Scriptures, and it was in that reading that suddenly he saw in that letter to the Romans and to the Galatians said, Oh, my, the incomparable, incredible faith that is revealed in Scripture is not one I have to earn. Unbelievably, the truth about God's grace is that it is free. How could I not have known that? How could not everybody know that? Everybody needs to know that. So this was a tired and torn and full of despair kind of monk here, Luther, who found himself on that edge of desperation, who suddenly found joy and a peace that passed all understanding. Have you been there? That's a real question, friends. We live in a world where that is a real question. And, and so Paul's letters to Rome and to the Galatian church are revealed to Luther there's something here that we cannot be quiet about. There's something here, a truth about God's grace that has to be told everywhere. It is so deep, so radical, so incredible that I have to tell it every kid. Can you imagine that God freely, with no requirements, with no consideration of who I am, grants me free grace? I got to shout this from the mountaintops, right? There's not a front door anywhere that is not hearing that voice coming straight out. It comes out the windows of the house. This is who God is. And so it should wonder us. We should be baffled. And it certainly would have crushed Luther if he had known that the grace that sets people free and that grants a kind of peace that surpasses even the wildest imagination, that that peace, that kind of grace, does not make people run to the ends of the world and, and stand on their own, their own housetops and scream it out and open their front doors and shout it and talk about it in the workplace and, and talk about it with whomever they're driving in the car or wherever they are in a grocery store. They just have to speak to this. He would be baffled if he saw that that was not the energy and the power and the fire that came from people who had met such grace. Could, could it not be? No, he said, it could not be that there would be people that would not talk to other people about that there is a God who loves us so much that he would grant us this for free. Imagine that. And so I recognize this. I read a text like this. And I know the backstory of Luther. And I know that discussion. And, and I have to ask myself, 
what effect does it have in my life? What what change has this afforded in my life? God's incredible free grace. See, Luther's experience of God's liberating grace resulted in an eagerness that he could not ever, ever find, even before when his whole effort, every fiber in his being was thrusted into trying to please God. Now, now there was this understanding of love, and do I need to remind some of you guys? Maybe this is for the guys. I don't know. It's for all of us. Do, do we have to be reminded the energy that love brings? What? Huh? Suddenly, you find energy, you find time, you find ability, you find creativity like you had never known. Why? Because what? You're in love. Oh, I can't feel, you know, I know that from students. I, you know, just to be honest with you. They have, oh, I'm telling them, oh, I don't have time. I mean, I'm so busy. I have two jobs. I, you know, study full time. I'm doing it. I have no time. It is like every minute is scheduled and then they fall in love. Yes. And suddenly, oh, here's an hour here, here's another hour here. You know how that works, right? The same is true when you truly fall in love with God, and that is exactly what happened also here. And that's where James connects. That's his point. He had no interest in trying to say that if we just did the right kind of deeds, if we're just doing these right kind of things, then we will be saved. What James is saying is simply this. If there's talk about genuine faith, it genuinely works. It will have genuine effects. It affects the way we live and think. Faith without effects is questionable, is what James is saying. So I read that. And I ask myself, and I'm going to ask yourself too, what are the effects of faith? Whether you're in school, in a class, you're at work, you're at home, what are these effects? See, James's point is simply to say, can I point you to what genuine faith is? looks like. And it was exactly because of this that it changed Luther's life in a sense. There's no distinction that that Luther had concluded because of his very stormy kind of background as he came to this. Paul and James is in utter agreement, as is the New Testament when it comes to this. And that's what Luther discovered, that, that through faith alone that is granted to you by grace alone that you can read about in Scripture alone, that it becomes possible for you to live for God alone. I know you're probably not a, an amen in church, but that ought to say amen in your heart if nothing else, right? That is just so, so True. No tension here in Scripture about this. What James is doing, he is highlighting the effects of this saving faith. What Paul is doing, he's highlighting the prerequisites for coming to saving knowledge of God. 
But James's point here is, be careful if faith remains theoretical. Genuine faith, real faith has a way of making its way to the heart and from the heart out in the hands, down in the feet. It refuses, rejects to be stuck in the brain alone. Again, I've I vow when I read Scripture that I will not just read it theoretically. I will ask myself questions, and as will also the church that I'm speaking to about these texts. You know, what, what are the effects? When people look at me, my surroundings, will they conclude, here is someone who has found joy and, and freedom and peace at a level that I don't know because of his walk with Christ. Is, is, is it possible that they look at, at me and then they say, oh, wow, there's someone for whom faith actually is real, not just talked about. And I wonder, you know, how can we even make that more concrete? Would it be possible in light of this text, on a week like this where we focus on James and his message, that you take a piece of paper and write down simply five things that have been affected in your life by your faith in Christ. Five things. And notice, you know, it doesn't, work that we just put down really good things like, you know, I'm a decent person. I don't lie, cheat, steal, you know, I'm faithful to my spouse, you know. That doesn't work because that's just decency. You hear me? I've had lots of neighbors, lots of great friends who would have nothing to do with Christ who have had those kind of decent characteristics. That's not necessarily what has changed. Think through the effects that faith has in your life and you will find a new level of grace and wonder when that's the case. So let, let's just push forward just a little bit just with this illustration it begins to kind of in verse 23. Um, I'll try to not hold you as long as, as Matt normally does, right? <laughs> Whatever. Sorry about that. Sir. No, that's good. No, um, Look at here, right? It's a kind of a tremendous story. And this is a story where you see, see uh, James and Paul you know, seem to use the same event in Abraham's life in different ways. And, and that is what has caused some of the conversation here. But look at it just for a moment, and I think you'll see what's going on, right? All the way back from Genesis, you'll know that, chapter 12, and again in chapter 15, God had promised Abraham that he will bless him, and through his seeds will come a, a people that was uncountable, as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the, on the beach, so to speak. And we see this story, and this is kind of where it connects, and, and, and that's where we see some of this, right? Years later, uh, you know, when, when Abraham is sitting uh, in, in Canaan's land, God had called him out on that promise 
Abraham walks on the promise from, from uh, Ur and Chaldea into the promised land, and, and so he's there. And what's going on? Well, God repeats that promise. Again, this is it. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Just look down here in verse 23. The next experience of Abraham then occurs about 30 years later in his life. And God tests him at the very point of his promise. Isaac was that child of promise. Through him would come all the stuff that God had promised. And he asked him the most difficult possible thing whatsoever. Would you go and sacrifice that one son that I've given you? And we go, no, 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 that's, that's just too hard. That's unspeakable, right? But here, here's the point. Real faith or genuine faith genuinely trusts God. Are we hearing this? Genuine faith, real faith, really trusts God. That's what's going on here. But notice, uh, if you go back just a couple of pages uh, to, to the letter uh, uh, by, by, uh, by the Kohele, or, or to let the Hebrews, as we call it here, right? Um, it says here, Abraham by, Abraham, by faith, Abraham was arrested. It's chapter 11, verse 17. Some of you that are quick with Scripture, right? A couple of pages back was tested offering up Isaac. He received the promise, and yet he was offering this one, uh, this one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your seed will be called through Isaac. And Abraham considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. So he trusted God. Real faith really trusts God. And that's the point here. Even when God tested him on the most difficult points in his life. And again, I turn it and say, what if God had tested me at the most painful point in my life? The very things where I thought, well, God ought to be with me here, not ask me to do these things. Think about that for a moment. If your faith had remained in the brain and not moved its way down to your feet and your hands and your heart in trust, I probably would have argued something like this. Say, God, listen up. Listen now. You know I love you. You know I, I go to, and my neighbors know that too. I go to places to worship you. I, I, I do so regularly. I, I'll sing your praise. If someone asks me if I trust you, I'll say yes. That, 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 you know, they, they know this. But, yeah, you know, I'm also a human being, right? I, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best I can. You ought to understand. Of course, <laughs> Abraham doesn't say that. He says, is that what are you supposed to say? No, 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 no. As Abraham said, no, 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 that's not. That's not the answer. Because he had genuine faith that had 
genuine trust in God. And so that's what his life radiated, this complete trust in God. And that seems to be what James is trying to say here, that when someone genuinely trusts God, it's visible. It can be seen. Even the book of Hebrews picks up on this. How could he do that? Well, he must have trusted that God could raise him back up, even when he could not see it. And so that's, that's what James is pointing to. I'm going to try to wrap some of this up with a story. It's an old story. Some of you may have heard it. It's a made-up story, as you can guess when I tell it. But it's kind of intriguing with this, right? So, so all the demons have been called together by Satan. They had this huge conference where the purpose was to see if they could come to an agreement on how they were going to attack the problem that God's name was being glorified in the earth. How can we stop that? It's got to be some way of putting a stop to that to hinder God's work in the earth. And so they gathered, and, and one uh, demon got up thinking he was brilliant. He said, let's just go up there to the earth and convince all people that there's no God. And if people just smile overbearing, they were not people. The demons just smiled overbearingly and pushed that aside almost immediately, saying, nobody, nobody's going to believe that. If anyone has any kind of intelligence, they would know that that's not true. And even how are we going to convince people when we know, look at verse 19, that he exists? How are we going to convince people that he doesn't? And so another demon uh, got up and, and said, hey, you know, I, I got another suggestion. Uh, what if we suggest that Christ actually never really lived? This is just stupid to believe that, such kinds of superstitious nonsense. And that kind of created a laughter among the other demons, and he looked confused around. And, and, and then they said, that's impossible. Everyone knows. That's a historical fact. He was a historical figure. Everyone can figure that out. We're never going to be able to convince anyone of this. So a third one got up and said, let, let me suggest this. What if we can, well, we can convince everybody around that there's no such thing as eternal life? And, and so, you know, we're just here, and, and it doesn't matter, and, and so there's nothing like that. If we can convince them of that, and they said, no, 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 that's not going to work either. Because nobody's going to believe God is that stupid that he creates all this great stuff for 70 years. Why would he create human beings for 70 years? Then nobody's going to believe that. So one of the older, wiser demons got up and said, maybe this will work. What if we convince them that it's fine to, God exists, that's fine. Believe that. It's fine to believe in Jesus Christ. It's perfectly fine even to believe that he died on the cross and, and gave his life so that you may have eternal life with God. Believe it all you want. Great. But we need to convince them that it doesn't matter. It shouldn't change anything. That God doesn't care 
You just live like you always live. Don't make it make a difference. You can believe whatever you want in your brain, but don't let it get to your hands and your feet and your heart. And everybody agreed, yeah, let's do that. So they did. Now we know this is a story. But I wonder if something like that is what James is talking about when he says a faith that has no effect, that affects nothing in our lives, is dead. But here's the gospel, friends. Here's the good news. It doesn't have to be like that. Faith does not have to be dead. Both James and Paul and every other writer, Jesus, of course, himself, everyone shouts that from the rooftops. There is a Savior who grants his grace. Follow him and let it change your life. Even Luther, he's chiming in. He, he can't. He can't stop it, right? And so those of you who know some of his songs, I'm just going to do the one line, verse 3, of a mighty fortress is our God, and though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Yes? Can we imagine Imagine right here, the outskirts of Atlanta, if this group, you all listening and following, came to that kind of conclusion, that genuine faith genuinely affects who we are. It moves to our lips. It moves to our hands. It changes our testimony. It changes our decision-making. It changes everything. Could it be? Oh, my. How would that change not only this area right around the church, but this whole county? Just imagine this, right? It took 12. Is that it? 12. Have you ever? I thought, sometimes ask myself that. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've often asked myself, what if all the 12 have been just like me? Would Christianity have died out the first generation? It's a real question for me. That free grace that creates this extraordinary love that must affect everything else. Can we stand? Some of you may want to grab someone's hand and just say, can I pray with you just for a moment? This is a good season for that. Some of you may want to later on come talk to someone. I don't know what your tradition is. Maybe, maybe you want to come here and just do a movement to not just stand, but spend this time praying. You know, we're not talking theory. This is not, the worst thing that can happen is, well, I've Heard another sermon. I'm going home. It's okay. I'm good. Let God speak, right? Even in this moment.
as they lead us in singing, spend this time talking to God about the effects of your faith in the one who gives his grace just because he loves you. Father, thank you for opening your word. Father, if I said words that are cluttering up the clarity of your word, may that disappear. And Would you allow each here, those in this building, those watching, those maybe watching later, You allow each to get a new understanding, a deeper desire to see a faith that really works, whose effects become clear. Speak to us, O Lord. We are so grateful that you called us and showed us your son's love. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.